And if you would open your Bibles with me to Matthew 14, page 820 in your pew Bibles. And as you do that, let me say a quick word of self-introduction. And that uh, it is a real privilege for me and my family to be here. And to be worshiping among you and serving among you and proclaiming the gospel among you. Uh, I know what a privilege it is to be in such a wonderful place in my first job out of seminary. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for, uh, for bringing us here. Um, and I look forward to our time together. And I, as I said, I'm right out of seminary. So I have a lot to learn about what it means to be a pastor. I have a lot to learn from all of you. And hopefully I have a lot to, to teach and to give and to serve. And so uh, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would, would grow us in fellowship as we, as we teach one another in this time. So I'm jumping into the middle of a series as I start here, and I've been trying to uh, listen to the podcasts, which are an excellent resource if you've not taken advantage of them. Fist pump from Alex there, affirmation. Uh, and so Alex told me we were coming, coming to the series on miracles. At first I thought that sounded a little Sunday schoolish. You know, in the middle of summer, people come and go. Let's just kind of revert to uh, Sunday school curriculum and talk about the cool things that Jesus did. Uh, but no, actually, what we're talking about is God revealing himself through the actions of Christ. Through the miraculous power of Jesus, God is revealing his heart to us, revealing to us his nature and his purposes in the world. We, we heard how he is the one who calms the storm and see how God reveals himself as the one who has authority and power over all of creation. He's the one who has authority to tell the wind and the waves to stop, and they stop. He's the one who has authority over our physical bodies to heal the paralytic, the one who had never walked before. He has power to heal and to restore. He has power over demons to tell demons to get out, and they have no choice but to submit. He has authority to do that. He reveals the God of authority, of power, and of love for his people. We come to this story, the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. But one of the interesting things about this story is that aside from the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is the only story, the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. All four gospel writers come to tell the story of Jesus, to bear witness to who he is and what he's done, and they come with their different agendas and different priorities, different angles on telling the story. But all four of them thought that this event was significant enough to include it in their account. And all four of them agree about what happened, which is really interesting. We come to this story and what does it reveal to us about who God is? And what does it show us about God's heart, about God's nature? And I want to speak to us this morning about the God who reveals himself in the story as a God of power and provision. Power and provision. Two Ps. Easy for you to remember. So we come to Matthew 14. And what's happened before this, Jesus has come to a place where he needs to get by himself. He needs to get away. He needs to be in a lonely and desolate place, away from the crowds. He's just been rejected at his hometown of Nazareth and cast out. He's been healing the sick and teaching a lot. He's probably physically drained. And then he hears the news that John the Baptist has died. 
his cousin, the one who prepared the way for the Lord. And he's emotionally drained, and he needs some alone time, and the crowds don't let him get it. You know, I, I'm an introvert, so I know these feelings of needing alone time and needing a way. If I'm drained physically and emotionally, I need my quiet solitude. And if you try to interrupt that, if you come with throngs of people and a lot of noise, you will see a very grumpy Ben. So if you want to get to know all of me and all my character flaws, uh, try that sometime and see how it works. But Jesus, praise God, is a far better man than I am and a far better God than I could ever be. He responds not with grumpiness, not with annoyance, but with compassion because he is a God who always puts the needs of others above himself, who always acts in love, who always acts in compassion. He is never annoyed or never grumpy when we come to him with our needs. So the people come. They come to be healed. They come to be taught. They come to be near to this one who has a message from God, who has a spark of the divine that's like nothing they've ever seen before. He's such a fascinating person to be around that they want to just linger there probably even after they've received healings and even after Jesus is done teaching, they stay, they linger through lunch and through dinner. They stay to the end of the day and they're hungry. And the disciples, they have a great idea, a great idea. They say, Jesus, send them away. Send them away to get their food. You can get your alone time. They can get fed. Everyone wins. It's a great idea, but Jesus has a better plan in mind to reveal his glory. He says, no, you feed them. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Well, what is the proper response to that that suggestion? (laughs) Bewilderment. (laughs) What are you talking about? How can we do this? There's no way we could ever accomplish this. Even if we had the resources of money, we can never collect and buy and go get enough food to bring it back. And Jesus has a better plan. Jesus collects what they have, just five loaves of bread, two fish, maybe enough to feed one family, maybe two if you stretch it. And he feeds the whole people. He feeds the whole multitude. Matthew here says 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're really probably talking about maybe 15,000 people. An incredibly huge crowd. And I think the number is not as what's important, even though all four gospel writers agree that it was 5,000, some had women and children. But the number is just to make us feel the weight of how huge this crowd was. And in this multiplication of bread and fish, there's an oddness to this miracle that that gets me a little bit. I think this is is a hard miracle for me to grasp my head around. Sometimes we're overly familiar with it. And so I want to think about the oddity of it for just a second. Because sometimes for me, it's easier to believe in healings or, or miraculous demon uh, exorcism than it is for something like this. In our modern minds, we can, we can rationalize things like healings. We can think, oh, it was a, there's something psychosomatic going on. That their, their physical healing was caused by something mental. And Jesus 
freed them in their minds and it had physical manifestations. Or demon oppression was the old-time language that they had for mental illness and they just didn't know what it was. And Jesus helped them escape that and helped bring them freedom from that. We can rationalize these other miracles in some ways with our, our modern minds, the way that we would like to think about that. You come to this story and it's, you can't rationalize this. You can't get around the supernatural breaking into this moment and multiplying exponentially food, prepared bread, prepared fish to eat. You cannot rationalize that. You cannot get around the fact that God is breaking into the natural order of things and doing something miraculous. And I sometimes wonder about the mechanics of how this happened. Uh, like, what did the, what, how did it multiply? Like, did the disciples just blink and all of a sudden there was more there than there was before? Or did they watch as bread kind of split apart like cells and mitosis and <laughs> multiplying, doubling and tripling and quadrupling? Uh, how did that happen? It's, that's not the point. We're not privy to the details of it because it's not the point of the story. The point is that Jesus has power over these things. Jesus has authority over created things and power to do what he wants with them. And he does it in love to provide food for his people. He's a God of power and provision. As we explore what it means for him to be a God of power, his power is rooted in his authority over the created order because he is the creator. This is a God who spoke a word and all things came into being. He is the one who defines and creates reality, what is and what is not. He sets the stars in their course in the sky. He sets the boundaries of the oceans and the land. He holds the universe in his hands. All things are held together by his will. And right now he wills to give us a meal, to fill our bellies, to satisfy us. He takes a few pieces of bread and two fish and he turns it into this epic meal, a great banquet, a feast like none of them have ever seen before and leaves everyone satisfied and leaves more than enough left over. He is a God of power. And he exercises it here for the good of his people so that he can provide. He's a God of provision, the provision that is rooted in his love and generosity and abundance. Because this is a God who loves you and me. This is a God who hears our needs, our requests, and he knows our needs better than we do. This is a God who will tear the heavens and rend the earth to come to you when you call to him because he loves you and he is for you and he's with you. And look how much he provides, even just right here. Way more than is needed. Way more than they ever asked for or could have imagined that he would provide. Here is a God of great abundance, of great uh, provision and generosity 
and, and lavish wastefulness. He's not just checking the boxes and providing the bare minimum, but he's wastefully, gratuitously, lavishly pouring upon them the benefits and blessings that he desires to give because he loves you, because he loves them. My family and I uh, got to experience God's provision in a really wonderful and profound way in the last year. I've, I've been going through seminary, and the first two years I was working to provide income for my family, and I was getting extremely burnt out on that, uh, of being so divided and so uh, pressed for time. And we, my wife and I felt the Lord calling us to, uh, to raise our support for my final year. Uh, to, to rely on God's generosity and the generosity of the church and our family and friends to provide for our income. And if you've never had to uh, support raise for yourself or for a company, uh, it's terrifying and it's horrible to go and ask people for money and to, to say that I have a call and a conviction that God wants me to ask you for your money. <laughs> And to convince them of that. And we had to raise a significant amount of money uh, to, uh, to make up for my, my part of our income. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was, it was plenty enough. And God, through the course of the year, uh, provided for us so much more than we asked for. So much more than we really imagined that he would. I, I felt a conviction that he would provide for us if he called for us. Uh, called us to this, uh, but I did not expect how much he would. He provided far more than we asked for, far more than we could have imagined through the generosity of friends who very quickly agreed to, to give us $100 a month or $200 a month or um, and the gift of inheritance that I wasn't expecting in the moment. Uh, God really blessed us and God surprised us. And we felt him speaking to us of how, how limiting we were trying to make him, of how much we were limiting his power and what we were asking of him. We didn't believe that he was a God of abundant generosity. We thought he was a God who was going to provide for every need, but he showed us that he was a God of abundance, a God who would provide far more than we could imagine. And I don't tell that story as a prescription of if you pray this, this way or pray enough that God will just give you more money uh, that's not how it works, but the point is that God called and God provided, God surprised us. And I think that's the pattern of how he tends to work among us. That he calls and he provides and he always surprises us with his goodness. He is a God of power and he is a God of provision. And he is here for you. And his power and his provision are most abundantly, most clearly, most perfectly seen on the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross for you and I to show his power over sin and death and to provide for the greatest needs of our lives. Ironically, this is the only other event, right, that appears in all four Gospels. That all four Gospels revolve around the death and the resurrection of Christ. He shows his power to overcome sin, his power to conquer death, his power to crush the serpent's head. Through his death, he defeated death. He became powerless so that his power, his authority over all things can redeem and restore us and heal us and save us 
and forgive our sins. His provision on the cross for the deepest need of every human life, for the forgiveness of our sins, that's where it's seen most clearly. Because more than food, more than air, more than water or shelter, you and I need to be cleansed of our sins. We need to be freed from the slavery of death and the captivity of Satan. Jesus provides that need in so much greater abundance than we could have ever asked for or imagined. It's on the cross that we find the clearest, the most perfect revelation of who God is. And his heart revealed to us through Jesus in that moment. If you think it's weird to connect this story of the feeding of the 5,000 to the cross, I don't think it's an accident, actually, that the gospel invites us into seeing that. Because I think if we just look here at Matthew in the text, there's a direct connection that Matthew draws between this and the death of Christ, especially as he's... uh, um, foreshadowing it in the Lord's Supper. So if you look in the text with me, I want to point out something to us here. In Matthew 14, uh, verse 19, look what Jesus does when he receives the bread and the fish as he institutes this meal and gives it out in abundance and provision and power for the people. Verse 19, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So what does he do with the bread and the fish? He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and gives it. So keep those four verbs in mind. And as you flip with me forward to Matthew 26, you keep your ribbon or your thumb in Matthew 14 there, but flip over page 832 to Matthew 26. And the institution of the Lord's Supper that starts in verse 26. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Look what Jesus does as he institutes this meal. And he takes the bread. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What does he do? He takes it. He blesses it breaks it, and gives it. It's not an accident that Matthew is making this connection here. It's not an accident that he's, he's showing us two different meals, two great feasts that Jesus invites us into and saying one is foreshadowing the other and one is pointing towards the other, that Jesus invites us to receive. The Gospel of John goes even further with this. If you read John chapter 6, It's a very long chapter, but it's really rich with what Jesus says. Because the feeding of the 5,000 happens, and then people come to him wanting more. And he says, you want bread, but I am the bread of life. He goes on to say, if anyone does not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You have no part of eternal life. Making a direct connection to the Holy Communion that we're invited into. So it's not an accident that the, the gospel writers are doing this and God is inspiring them to do it, of making this connection for us. Because Jesus is inviting us to a great feast, 
of abundance, of power and provision for us. We are invited to come and receive the bread of life at the Lord's table, this small wafer and the little sip of juice that becomes in us something so much greater that fills and satisfies us like nothing else can. The life of Christ in us, that he may dwell in us and we in him as we pray. This is the power and the authority of the Lord of the universe coming to you and to me here, right now, in this service, in his goodness and his love for you and I, his provision for your life and soul. It can be held in your hand and tasted on your tongue. As we feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving, we can know his abundance. We can know his generosity. We can know his provision and his power as he cleanses us and makes us whole, makes us more like him, makes us holy, and makes us new. This is where we come and receive all that God has poured himself out to give us, which is his very life. So this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, it's not just a parlor trick to show us that Jesus has magic hands. It's not just a fantastical magic trick, but it's to reveal to us God's heart, God's love, his power over all created things, and his great love that can never be contained for you, but that you get to take hold of. As we come here to the Lord's table, we bear witness to God's power and his provision. And we receive his love for us. So we receive this invitation. We hear Jesus even now inviting us to come and receive the bread of life and to see his power and provision multiply in you. Amen.